everybody. Hi. Everybody stand on up. We're going to sing some songs in worship. Don't leave me hanging. Maybe we are. Try again, babe.
for Jesus, not for me, y'all. to Sunday school, and I think Wes is going to come up and talk to you a little more.
good morning. Uh, as you can see, I'm not Jack. Um, Jack will be on video in a minute, but I've been asked to open the service today with our video and then a prayer. I believe in God the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth. And in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord. Who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. Suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits on the right hand of the Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. Jack is in North Carolina uh, going to the services for that John Hobbs he talked about, one of his spiritual mentors. So this message today is on video, but it's still the message God has given Jack to give to us. So it's a message that all of us probably need to hear. So. In today's prayer request, we have Joanna is asking for Gail's son, Bill, uh, prayers for him to, uh, for his dying of cancer and the treatments. And Donna and Bill ask for prayers for the loss of their young nephew, Lou, and for healing Jack and Melissa traveling mercies. Oh, Doring. Maybe I need to see the eye doctor. Okay. Well, yeah, and, and prayer for Wes. <laughs> um, but like I said, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we do thank you for this day that we come to worship you to hear a message that will speak to us about what we believe and how we should believe. So we just know that with your spirit guiding us in our spirit and in our hearts and our minds that this message will mean something to us and that we can then go live that message all for Christ our Savior. And Father, we do ask for prayers for Donna and Bill's nephew and for... Gail's son, Bill, as they faced their trials in life in this age when it just seems so much is going on and struggle just continue. But we know you're the God of 
all struggles. And that you can ease that in all our ways. So we just thank you for being a God that loves us and cares for us. And just pray that in all, we would always seek you and be about your work and your will in our lives. For Christ our Savior. And we're going to have the announcements for today. If you have Good morning, everyone. Um, as you can see, I'm here, but I'm not here. Um, to, Melissa and I went to honor um, the well, spiritual father of mine, uh, Reverend John Hobbs, who passed away. Um, so we are attending his memorial service today. Uh, so by the wonder of, of technology, I am still with you. Today, we are in our eighth week, um, believe that or not, our eighth week of the series, The Apostles' Creed. And today's um, title is going to be called, Here Comes the Judge. Here comes the judge. That's where we're going to talk about today. So for the last seven weeks, we've been walking through the Apostles' Creed, and we've been trying to do this to see, as Christians, what do we really believe? So um, today it's going to be a little bit unusual because we're going to be stepping into something that hasn't happened yet. Everything that's happened the last seven, uh, uh, that we talked about the last seven weeks has already happened. For instance, God the Father Almighty has already created. Um, G- Christ has already been conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary. He suffered under Pontius pod, been crucified, dead, and buried. Um, he descended to hell, and the third day um, he ascended to heaven and sitteth at the right, sits at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. So today we're going to talk about um, from whence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. So it's a pretty bold statement. Uh, I got a chance one time to go to um, one of those car shows, and it was like Cars of the Future. And it had really cool things like showing you where maps were and, and uh, showing you would have a phone in your car and, and there would be a car that would drive itself. And, and we were like, ah, oh, really? 
and here we are. We have some of those things. So that's kind of what we're doing. We're, we're believing in things that haven't happened yet. Just a quick reminder. Remember the Apostles' Creed. We shared this week one. It doesn't start with a statement, I know, but it starts with I believe. Because I know is deals with our brain, but I believe comes to a heart and life in the core of ourselves. So today's phrase, I believe that he shall come to judge the living and the dead. And so here we're going to deal with something, um, the concept of judgment, of judgment. Ultimately, there's a day where Jesus comes to judge the living and the dead. Now, how many of you have ever been to court? Raise your hands. Raise them high. Um, how many of you have ever been to court? All right. How many, so, so how many of you have been to court because of something you did, whether it was a traffic violation or something you don't want us to know about? Nobody I've ever met says, oh my gosh, yes, I get to go to court and stand in front of a judge. I cannot wait. Or I love being judged, whether it's personally or whether it's by an authoritarian figure. I just love that. Judgment is not something that we really look to like. Um, and we don't get really excited about judgment. So let's do, go right now. What we've been doing every week, we're going to stand and we're going to go ahead and go through the Apostles' Creed. So I'd ask you to stand with me if you're able. And we'll go ahead and we'll recite this together. Here we go. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, creator of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended to hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended to heaven and sits at the right hand of God, the uh, Father Almighty. From whence he shall come to judge the quick and the dead, or the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. You may be seated. Our brief outline today is what we're going to look at. Is we're talking about uh, knowing and believing um, something that is future-looking that hasn't accomplished today. And we're looking at that. And so what's the point of this? Um, if you have a church background uh, and you start talking about the second coming and start talking about judgment, it raises a lot of questions. And for some of you, it may raise a lot of uh, your, your emotions um, or may, may get you a little bit of anxiety, depending on how your, your background portrayed that. Many people want to know what's the sequential order, how, what goes on here? What do we expect and how does it happen? And, and we, we want to ask all these questions about the second coming of Jesus. Um, so I'm going to give you a confession today. I am not going to answer any of those questions today. Um, I am going to answer, though, today's question about why this is important. What, in other words, what does the return of Christ and the judgment of Christ reveal about his character and his nature to us? And then, so that's what we're going to focus on. Then we're going to do like we did the last several weeks. We're going to walk through our area of symmetry how we have balance um, to develop our hearts and have more balance um, in, our, in our faith about the return and the judgment of Christ. Clarity, how do we see the, uh, the Lord and his return in judgment? Community, how do we draw lines of community as believers? Do we make them bigger or do we make them smaller because of the return and the judgment of Christ? And then when we get to counsel or advice, how do we do that for ourselves and others because of his return and judgment? So here we go. We're going to go to, if you again, your Bibles or you have in the Bible app or something, um, you can go to Matthew chapter 25. We're going to begin in verse 31. 
And Jesus is responding to uh, a question from his disciples. Now, in Matthew, um, Jesus has just entered into Palm Sunday, his triumphal entry, and where people had yelled, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Save us is what it means. And so after that point, the Pharisees and the Sadducees, they were Jewish ruling people, began to really figure out how they could come against Jesus. And so the disciples ask him a question. They say, hey, how are, how's it going to be when you return? Um, and how do we know that these things are going to be a sign of the end of the age? So this is where they are. So Jesus begins to answer these questions. When the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you are blessed by my Father. Take your inheritance for the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. Then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you something to drink? And when did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing clothes and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison and go and visit you? The king will reply, truly, I tell you, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me. You who are, who are cursed into the eternal fire, prepare for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me nothing to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me nothing to drink. I was a stranger and you did not invite me in. I needed clothes and you did not clothe me. I was sick and in prison and you did not look after me. And they will all answer, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or needing clothes or sick or in prison and did not help you? And he will reply, truly I tell you, whatever you did not do for the least of these, you did not do for me. Then they will go away to eternal punishment, but the righteous to eternal life. Jesus gives a more in-depth discussion about this whole kind of thing. And he talks about the Son of Man, referring to the Messianic reference or to the Son of God. When he returns in his glory, he is surrounded by angels and sitting on his glorious throne. So let's look at the contrast of what's going on here where we look at this whole kind of thing about Christ and his glory. Jesus has been in Jerusalem where he's just been um, arguing and rejected by the Pharisees and the Sadducees. And the, they're saying to Jesus, you're not who you say you are. You do not have this authority. You do not have the right. But Jesus says, wait a second, there will be a day that is coming where the Son of Man will have a glorious return. And there on that day, he'll return and there'll be no dispute in who he is. Uh, last week, we talked about how the angel said to the disciples, as you saw him leave, he will come back. And as he comes back that way, everybody will see him and every tongue uh, will confess that he is Lord. Those of us who believe and, and accept his grace are, are going to be with him. And we're not, there's not going to be a debate about who he is or what he says he is. So we have this hope in this future, uh, and it's a belief. It's, he's going to be like the shepherd separating sheep and goats, one to the right and one to the left. Now, 
what I learned, I've been to Israel four or five times. I can't remember now because I'm a little bit older, um, but four or five times. And one of the coolest things that I saw, is, and, and I understand this is a farming practice with a lot of people, that often farmers will herd sheep and goats together. What, what you find is that uh, at the end of the night, even though they were herded together, a shepherd will go ahead and they'll separate the sheep to one area and they'll shep- separate the goats to another area um, at night to dwell for the night. When they're in their natural habitat and they tend to get dirty or they're far off, looking far off, um, even the shepherd, a lot of times the shepherd and others can't even tell which is the sheep and which is the goat because they hang together. And, and so it's interesting that Jesus says, I will separate, because I'm the, I'm the good shepherd, I will separate the sheep from the goats. I will put the sheep on the right and the goats on the left. And so at the end of the age when Jesus returns, he's going to separate us rightly. Like a, a good shepherd does not put a sheep in with the goats or a goat in with the sheep for night. There's no mistakes there. And Jesus said, I'm not going to make any mistakes. When we, when we think about what he's saying, he says to the ones on the right, these are the ones who who uh, did the things that he said and, and followed the things that he did. And he says to them, come, come. And I love that because that's an invitation. You, some of you might remember where you actually got, had little paper invitations and it would say, what date, whatever, and it would say RSVP and if you could come. Jesus is saying to them, here's an invitation. Come into the kingdom, come into my favor and my blessing. And now he's saying, here, come and inherit. It's interesting the word says, come and inherit the kingdom. You who are blessed by my Father, the kingdom that was prepared from the foundations of the world. Now, what's really cool about that is the word inherit carries with it something. But you don't inherit something unless somebody leaves something to you when somebody died. That's how you usually inherit something. Um, and so in this case, Jesus says, come and inherit the kingdom, which is here. And so this is important because if we're not careful and we look at the scripture, we get into a, a social kind of gospel where we could believe that if I feed enough hungry people, if I cl- give enough people clothes, if I let enough people sleep on my couch or I, I get a room at the hotel for some homeless people enough, then that's going to just kick open heaven for me. But Jesus says, no, 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 those things are important, but that's not it. That's not it. He said, you have been blessed by my Father to inherit the kingdom of God. So how can we inherit that? How have we been blessed by God the Father? Because we have received the gift that God the Father gave us through Jesus the Son. And by receiving that gift, then we are, that's the only way we're able to inherit the kingdom, by the death and resurrection of Jesus Christ. When was this, when was this prepared for us? Exactly, from the foundations of the world, from the beginning of the world, before the world was his existence, God, Jesus, the Holy Spirit, they knew what was going to happen, and God created a way from the very beginning for his kingdom. Before you were able to even commit to these actions, he gave that to us. And the magnitude of the authority of Christ is displayed in his judgment because he is not being persuaded, he is not being convinced, he's not being manipulated. But he knew from the foundations of the world that this thing called sin was going to separate us from him. And and the Godhead, you can see them sitting around, okay, this is what we're going to do. Or this is how we're going to save everybody. Now, I find this very funny because the ones on the right, they they don't answer and go like, yep, I got it, nailed it. I've, I've memorized 
my own my scripture verses. I, I get up and do my, my uh, devotions every day. I got it. Yeah, nailed it. They don't say that. But they're actually surprised by the response. And they say, wait, wait, wait a second. When did we, when, you mean we did this right? Anybody ever feel that in your Christian faith? Wait, what? I did this right? Wait, when did we see you that way? Or when were you hungry or thirsty? And when were you naked and, and a stranger? And, and when were you sick or in prison? When did, when did we do any of this stuff? But it's contrasted by a king or a judge who's sitting on this glorious throne. And he says this, he says, hey, hey, you know, last week we talked about, you know, being right with God through the ascension in a, in a vertical way with God the Father through Jesus' Son and also with each other in a horizontal way. We talked about that God sees how much we love him through how much we love each other. And look at what Jesus says. He says, when you did for the least of these, my brothers or sisters... When you, when you reached out and you helped those who were disenfranchised, those who were broken, those who were ill-equipped, those who, who were just, the world was beating them down. When you did it for them, you did it for me. That's got a lot of weight to it, doesn't it? Jesus is saying the way you love them is the way you love me. Now we know in Jesus' time, some of the religious leaders of the day had a problem that he was hanging out with sinners, hanging out with prostitutes, hanging out with tax collectors. Drags a society. And Jesus wants us to go ahead and, and to, not, to be there with them and teach them about, about who he is. You see, for me, it, it, it shows his love for me and you that it's not our qualifications that get us in. It is evidence of our faith, though, by, by us loving others. But to the ones on the left, there's not an invitation to come. It's a command so Jesus says, hey, hey, all of you got it right? Come on. Here you go. To those who got it wrong, he doesn't say come. He says, go. Get, get. He sends them away. Depart. Depart to the place that's been prepared for you and for the devil and all his angels. You're being sent away. Why? Because you did not take time to feed me when I was hungry. You did not take time to give me a drink when I was thirsty. You did not take time to take care of me when I was a stranger. You did not take time to give me clothes when I was naked. You did not take time to visit me when I was sick or in prison. And I find it interesting because they are equally surprised. And the thing that surprises them is the measure to which Jesus finds the evidence of their faith. You know, I, I kind of get that who he's talking to at this point. There are people who, who may have had a, a form of faith. They may have done some things. They may have, they may have checked on a, on a census box that they were a Christian. But what we have here is they say, well, when did we see you this way? When did we not minister to you? And Jesus says, when you didn't do to these, least of these, you didn't do for me. Look at how he separates that. He takes the left and says, you go to eternal punishment. You notice that it's not temporary? It's not a bad, bad goats? And do that. What does he do? It's eternal punishment. It's lengthy. It's consequential. It's weighty. But to the right, hey, come on. You've got life. So what we see revealed in the glory of God and the glory of Christ's return is simply this. And this will be uh, one of the blanks on your bulletin. The sovereignty of Christ is to rightly decide those that are inheriting the kingdom and those that are sent to punishment. The sovereignty of Christ is to rightly decide, not chance decide, but Jesus knows rightly who decide 
who is on the right and who is on the left, to, to inherit the kingdom. Come. So what does this mean for us today? How do we plug this into our, our how do we plug it into our area of, of our four things of symmetry, of clarity, of community, and counsel, and advice? Symmetry in that balance. Well, we, one of the things we got to look at is we have a judge, but we have a merciful judge who is looking at us and giving us, um, giving us uh, mercy. And what is mercy? It's just, it's like grace. It's undeserved favor and love. Like we don't deserve it. Like all of us should be on the left side. But because of his, his grace and love for us, we have this mercy. Jesus is not trying to break us in half. He's trying to give us mercy when the weight of the world is, is crushing us. Now, how many of you remember school fundraisers? Anybody ever do school, school fundraisers? Some of you may be doing that right now, or, or you may have had Little League or some kind of Junior League kind of thing um, that you had, did these fundraisers. Well, I remember these school fundraisers for me and also for, for kids and others. Uh, how many remember selling Christmas wrapping paper? Anybody remember those? You might have gotten those. Um, or that one, of, one of my favorites, Joe Corby's pizzas. I mean, and when they came out with the wheat pizza, that was excellent. Um, uh, cans of popcorn. Who knew a can of popcorn could cost so much? Um, but I bought, I bought several of those over the years. Um, how many, how many like buying the cookie dough and it never becomes cookies? Uh, so you sit there with a spoon and eat it. Um, when I was in school, the one I remembered the best, they were about this big and they were a thick block and they were, um, it was a candy bar. And you would get several of these candy bars and the wrapper had on it, if you sold it to somebody, you could take the wrapper and you could go get a, um, a free Whopper at, um, at Burger King. So it was, a, it was a major deal. One of the things that was interesting about this, some of these, not all of them, but some of these sales would have incentives to them. So if you sell two of these, you get a bookmark. Or if you sell five of these, you get a really cool um, eraser. Um, and then if you sell a million of these, you get a trip to Jamaica uh, or a chance for a trip to Jamaica. So there was always that one kid who was going to sell more than everybody. Um, they would have to get more inventory. And this kid wanted to go to Jamaica so much that he would just sell and sell. And he would go home maybe to his mom and, um, or dad and say, you know, hey, we've got the school fundraiser. And we're selling these candy bars um, that are wrapped with their dollar a piece, but they're wrapped with... Um, with this wrapper that you can get a free Whopper. And so here's the deal. Um, if, you, if you sell a whole bunch, then you get a trip to Jamaica. So um, yeah, as a parent, you go, hey, okay, you know, how much, how much is, do you have to sell to get to Jamaica? And they say, um, ah, only a million. And you go, a million? There's like no way that's going to happen. There's, there's no way. And the kid goes, no, no, no. I mean, they've got this like whole kind of sales pitch. They say, if you and dad take them to work, how many parents have ever taken kids uh, stuff to work to sell to people, all right? Um, and if we take it to church, how many have ever bought something in church? Uh, if, we, if we talk to all our family and friends, how many hate when you, the, the people like us with all the kids that always have some kind of fundraiser and you avoid them at family gatherings? And, and I will stand on the street corner hustling these candy bars for Whoppers. And, you know, and we can make that million and get a trip to Jamaica. And, you know, um, I heard of a, of a mom one time who said, you know, well, honey, um, if all the people I work with and your father works with, um, if all the people at church and if all your family love you enough to pay for these candy bars with Whoppers, um, why would you not just ask them to help you go for a trip to Jamaica? What was she saying to her kid in this statement? She's saying, why would you work so hard to earn something that ultimately 
you are not going to be able to earn. Like you can work and work and work and work, but in that time and what you have, you're never going to get to that million dollars. Why are you earning on something when you could just ask to receive it? So many of us live our Christian walk like this. We try to earn and earn and earn and earn and earn and earn and earn when we're never going to earn enough to receive the invitation. Here, come on. We're never going to earn enough to do that. We're always going to fall short and be on the, the left goat side. And here's what's being said in this text. It's not that they gave enough clothes. It's not that they, they fed enough people. It's not that they did enough works. It's that they could not earn their righteousness. And throughout this series, we started in like the early weeks talking about a Genesis 3 world where sin had separated us from God. And God, who is good and holy, created all things good and righteous and holy. But because of sin, sin just separated, sin just missing the mark of what God intended, separated us from God. Humanity and God were separated from the first time. Now, there's no words that can close the gap, no, no magic spell. But when Jesus came the first time through his giving his life up on a cross, he reunited and made right the vertical relationship between God and humanity and wanted to get right the relationship between humans and humans. He suffered under Pontius Pilate to be crucified, dead, and buried, to descend into hell and to be raised on the third day. And that closed the gap. Therefore, there's not enough, quote, candy canes and winning free whoppers that can be sold to get you in. But we do have a merciful Savior and a merciful judge who says, I'm not judging you on the merits of your own efforts. I'm, you're just inheriting the kingdom of God because I'm inviting you because you accepted my invitation. So we have a merciful judge, but we also have a just judge. We have a just judge. And it's important to know that he's just, like justice. He's a God of justice. He's right to punish our sin. Because if sin were to go unnoticed and unpunished, punished and undealt with, he would not be just and not be unfair. And he would totally be unfair. Let's go back to this whole kind of fundraiser thing. How many of you, if you really worked hard and you actually did sell the million dollars to get that trip to Jamaica. And then all of a sudden, they said, the kid who never sold one, at, we're going to let them go to Jamaica too. How many of you would be pretty angry? I would be ticked. I want to go, I want to go leave him in Jamaica. You know what I mean? Um, but we would be so frustrated. So let me ask you this question. How mad would you be if on that, that day, the unrepentant sinner, the person who had no regard for God, I'm saying that they never repented and accepted it. I mean, I believe in deathbed conventions and all that stuff, but never received God's mercy and never, gets, never, never lived out the life and followed Jesus and was faithful. That all of a sudden, Jesus just says, ah, I was just joking, come on in. And God was just like, no, no, no. I mean, number one, I've gotten this conversation obviously with, with pastors before, and they, many who thought, oh, at the end, he's just going to let everybody in. But that's not what I read here, where he comes to judge the living and the dead. Because if he did that, then that makes the, the crucif uh, crucifixion of Jesus makes God out to be just the most, the most evil um, 
person that ever, the most evil thing that ever existed, that he would torture his son and put all sin on the world, and that those who didn't accept the invitation, eh. But Jesus says right here, no, no, no. Those of you who accepted my invitation, here is life. Those of you who didn't, get away and depart. We would be so angry if God became this evil, monstrous, untrustworthy judge, but he's not. He's saying, I'm asking you to be submitted to my ways and my will, to be repentant. I'm asking you to confirm your call, my call on your heart. I'm asking you to conform your heart to my calling. And those who refuse to do any of that, go away, depart. If you won't repent, you will be judged. It's, uh, there's several illustrations of this just God in Scripture. And one comes from Genesis 18, where Abraham is talking with God. And God says, hey, Abraham, I'm going to destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And Abraham's nephew Lot lived near there. And he's like, hey, well, God, you know, I got family there, and there's some, some people there. And Abraham says, well, wait a second, God, which I think is really brave of Abraham. Wait a second, God. If there are 50 righteous people in the city, will you spare it? And God says, yes. Well, this conversation goes where I, I find it interesting how Abraham gets like really brave here. And he says, well, if there's this, if there's that, if that, they get really down to like one. And God says, yes, if there's one there. This number continues to dwindle. And Abraham says in, in chapter 25, in verse 25 of chapter 18, he says this. Far be it from you to do such a thing, to kill the righteous with the wicked, Treating the righteous as, and the wicked alike, far be it from you. Will not the judge of all earth do right? It's just for God to deal with those who are wicked and those who are unrighteous. We have a merciful and a just judge. And that builds symmetry. It builds balance in our hearts. Because for some of us, we walk in fear and condemnation. We walk in this fear that we're going to get zapped. We feel like the next mistake we make, that's the last mistake we're going to make. And God's going to be completely done with us. We stand before him united in Christ. We don't have to pay those penalties because Jesus paid them for us. We've been declared right and justified meaning just as if we'd never sinned. We've been declared innocent because we stand with Christ and his merits, not our own. So regardless of how many mistakes you make, if you're in Jesus Christ, you receive his mercy. But on that same other side is this. If we don't receive and stand with Christ and we lower our standards to just good intentions and motives and no pursuit or desire of the things of God, there's a day that's coming where unrepentant sin and evil dealt with by a just God. Number two, clarity. Clarity. Here's one thing that I do know. I, lots of things I don't know about God, but one of the things I do know very much about God is that the Godhead, God the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God the Father, Jesus, Son, and the Holy Spirit, take no pleasure in the destruction of, of the wicked. For instance, I, I'm going I'm to make a confession here. I have a very wicked heart. So do you. <laughs> All right, and I'm going I'm to give you an illustration. God loves to give me illustrations no matter what time of week I'm coming to, to, um, to church or whatever I'm coming to, to do a sermon or, or, or uh, a Bible study or something else. And so there's been times in my life where people who, um, 
I don't know, let's say um, people who are against me or people that don't like me or people that I look to as my enemies. When I hear that something kind of bad happened to them, I kind of enjoy it. Anybody else with me here? I mean, come on, let's go ahead. Let's confess. Um, I've done it. Um, and so, I mean, I, you kind of get this kind of part of you like, mm, yeah, serves them right. I'm glad they got you. Know, and they're, they're like, that's all they got? You know, I want their toenails pulled out by, you know, um, I don't know, pliers or something. Yeah, I mean, you come up with these kind of things. And it's funny because on the way here um, tonight, I was coming here and I'm riding down the road. I'm going very... I, I go pretty fast wherever I go. Um, police officers always in the speed limit. Um, and, um, and so I'm heading here, and there's a double line here, and there was people in front of me that were slower. So I was leaving some space. This guy comes and fly, comes right on my rear end, flies around me and right in front of me and puts on their brakes. I'm a little bit mad. Now, I was coming to, to do the sermon, and I'm, I'm mad. And then the person, I don't know whether it was people that were riding by or because I was visibly um, not blessing him, uh, I was visibly a little bit frustrated, decided to throw his um, very out of shape arm out the window and, um, and, and use one finger. And he was not telling me that Jesus is the way. Um, so um, I was looking at that and that started to boil in me. And I, I had all these things in my mind that I wanted to happen. I wanted the police to be here. I wanted him to be thrown to the ground. I wanted him to be shoved in a, um, in a cell and all that kind of stuff. And I would have, in, in my own nature, my own heart, I would have glorified in the fact that he did that. And as a matter of fact, when I got on Route 40, I found out that he one more time gave me directions with his finger um, to go somewhere. But I wasn't going that way. So he, I guess he didn't know where I was really headed. But what I'm saying is that started to get to me. And I don't even know this person, but I wanted bad things to happen to me, to him. And you guys do the same thing too. Maybe not as bad as me, but you do it as well. What we're seeing is Jesus takes absolutely no pleasure in the destruction of the wicked. And this is a theme in Ezekiel 33. Ezekiel is getting ready to prophesy to Israel because of their unfaithfulness to God. And the Lord says this, son of man, say to the Israelites, this is what you are saying. Our offenses and our sins weigh us down. And we're wasting away because of them. How can we live? Say to them, as surely as I live, declares the Lord. And listen to this verse here. I love this verse right here. I take no pleasure in the death of the wicked, but rather that they turn from their ways and live. Turn. Turn from your evil ways. Why will you die, people of Israel? So the moment that God is dispensing judgment, even it says Jesus is separating at this time the sheep and the goats, and he's saying, come. He takes no, no joy in all and saying, depart from me. All he wanted to do was say, why couldn't you get it and just come? I wanted to fill my house with you. In, in Luke chapter 19, Jesus is overlooking Jerusalem. And he begins to weep. And look what it says. As he approached Jerusalem and saw the city, he wept over it. And he said, if you, even you, had only known this day what will bring you peace, but now it's hidden from your eyes. The days will come upon you when your enemies will build an embankment against you and encircle you and hem you in on every side. They will dash you to the ground. You and the children within your walls, they will not leave one stone on another because you did not recognize the time of God's coming to you. Jesus is in tears because all he wanted to do was to get those on this side who turned from him to get to this point 
where he could say, come on in. Think about it. We should create, this should create some kind of clarity in our own lives because if that's how Jesus is, then we should take no pleasure in the fact that others don't know Christ either. Far too often, many people in our lives um, were just flippant as Christians that they are going to get told to depart from him. Whether we speak, uh, whether we speak them or whether we, with our words, like we're really flippant with our words, whether we speak with our words or whether we type them in social media or, or text or something, we cast judgment all over the place, declaring who needs to be on the left. All those people, because of what they do and how they live and how they, oh, you're on the left. The church has been really bad about acting like it's Jesus and saying, you deserve to be on there. But meanwhile, we're not doing the things that Christ called us to do. Far too often, we as Christians are not praying that people would turn from their ways and end up not on the left, but the right. It's like we've become too comfortable in our own salvation. And we begin to presume that the Lord is done with those people. And we pick those people out. And we may not realize or just ignore that he still is mighty to save. That he's still mighty to correct. And that he still may woo sinfulness and, and was out of destruction and out of rebellion. But instead our language and things that we share, our judgments and our desires for destruction, for those who don't line up and fit with the way we think, the Christian faith should be. We think that they shouldn't receive his mercy. There's not one person who walks this face of the earth that gets in by our own works, gets in by anything else, except by the mercy of Jesus Christ. Oh, may it not be so that we are Christians like that. May we be a people that see our Savior rightly and reflect our Savior rightly. May we have a heart of mercy which is the heart of the Father, which Reverend John Hobbs, that was one of his favorite things. He'd say, have the heart of the Father. May we have the heart of the Father, the one that is always looking, waiting for the prodigal, the lost son and daughter to return. That we're dying to see the wicked turn from their evil ways. And that should give us some clarity about how we need to relate to others. Who are they on your list? Who are the ones that you think should bust hell wide open? And then ask yourself, And he doesn't say, because you have a lot in your bank account, come on in, or everybody else, here's the left. What I hear him saying is, those who are faithful and righteous are on the right. Those who are unfaithful and repentant and rebellious, you're on the left. In our conversation, we see that in community. And and one of the things I'm realizing is that my family is much bigger than I thought it was. If Jesus says the, mem- the measure of the evidence of faithfulness to him and the measure of the evidence of being adopted into the family of God is that you love my brothers because they are my brothers and you love my sister because they're my sisters and, and because you've been adopted into the family of God and now you're a joint heir with me because we're inheriting the things from the death of Christ and that those who are also joint heirs with me, if you care for them and love them and attend to them, It's that measure then that my family is much bigger than I thought. And here's what what I've learned about having a big family. There's three things. It's costly, it's invasive, and it's beautiful. For instance, my family. Um, When you look at Melissa and my family, um, we have, uh, I think, eight siblings. I counted it up. Uh, Is that right? 
Yeah, when you have siblings and their significant others um, or spouses or whatever. I have one sister. Melissa has a sister and two brothers. Um, and so that, that adds up. We have them. Then I have my kids. I have five kids. And then I have one son-in-law. Um, and then if they have boyfriends or girlfriends, there's one girlfriend right now. And when they had other boyfriends and girlfriends, um, you can imagine how much that costs to go out to dinner. Um, so it was, it was big and it was expensive uh, to go out there. Um, we, anytime we used to go places um, with five kids when they were younger, we just like when we would go to the zoo or whatever, or to the aquarium, we would just buy the membership for the year. When it comes to nieces and nephews, I believe I have, combined we have five nieces and, I mean, and five nephews. And so Christmas and birthdays and graduations and things like that can get real expensive. I mean, I mean I'm, I'm all for Dollar Tree gifts, you know what I mean? I, I think that's, that's awesome. Um, but it is costly to have a big family. It's also in, invasive. Um, what you find out in a large family is that if one has an issue, everybody has an issue. Um, and that if they're sorting some stuff, if two people are sorting some stuff out, then everybody has to sort it out. It affects everybody. Um, or that if there's an issue, you may need to take time out of your schedule to say, you two come here, we're going to talk about this, and we're going to find out and get it right. So it invades, it, it takes up your time. Um, it's also uh, that, like for instance, we have three bathrooms. We have three bathrooms that are here. And you know when someone, someone needs or wants the bathroom, when somebody is in those bathrooms because they go ahead and they say, Hey, they won't get out of there. Oh, the water's going to be cold. Oh my gosh, get out of there. You've been in there for an hour. And it's all this fight. And that it comes to me and I go, what is going on up there? And they won't get out of the bathroom. They won't do this. I can't believe they're doing it. And it invades your time. So it's, it's costly and it's invasive, but it's also beautiful. It's good and it's the right thing when somebody in your family is going through a struggle. I should feel, and I do feel the weight of that. If one of my kids or one of my, uh, my siblings or somebody else in my family is, uh, my sibling or somebody else in my family is going through something, I feel the weight of them going through that as well. If they're mourning, guess who else is mourning? Me. I know one of the things that, that Jill has mourned with me is the losses I've had, particularly, um, you know, we, we shared in parents and we shared in, in friends, but like when Danny passed away, that was huge. Still is huge for me. And, and she, she's there for that. But it's, it's also when the good happens. Like for instance, when your four-year-old nephew colors a picture and you have no clue what it is. Or if it's your 18-year-old niece is graduating, that should give you cause to celebrate. Because if our family is bigger than we ever expected, then we should feel the weightiness of mourning and the joy of celebrating. Our family is bigger than it ever is. And, and as we look at the church family, when we have that, it is bigger. And we should rejoice in the Lord all the more. And, we, and when somebody's suffering, we should suffer with them. It's costly, it's evasive, but it's super beautiful. And that's our community. Last thing, counsel and advice. There are two ways to look at the list of what Jesus is measuring. It wasn't that Jesus said, because you were faithful enough to be burned to the stake for me or, or to stand before a firing squad for persecution or that you sold everything that you had and became a missionary to outer Swabovia. Um, all those are good and faithful expressions. But here's the thing that I want you to look at. I want you to look at the magnitude of practical obedience. The magnitude of practical obedience. 
Because far too often we build out this idea of being faithful to God means being in some extravagant thing that we have to go be in the jungles that have never been to witness to people who are there. That's part of it. That may be somebody's call, but that's not all we have to do. Look at practical obedience. There's a balance that's here. Uh, Look at the list of faithful things that he's laying out. Because here's, here's what I could do and here's what you could do. I could feed somebody who's hungry. Can anybody do that? I can clothe somebody who needs clothes. I can let somebody sleep on the couch or get them a hotel room so they can have a warm place to stay at night. That's practical obedience to God. And it should be challenging and encourage us this way that when it comes to being faithful to the Lord, here's what it looks like. That what does it look like loving and serving and caring for the person in the room next to you? Now, we don't have to always look somewhere else, but what about the person who's sitting in the room next to you? There's a call of practical obedience that is evident in the way disciples walk. It flows out of the naturalness of life because of the faith and mercy that I have received, I need to share that with everybody I come across. The second thing that we look at is this is a call for us to be serious about the proclaiming or the proclamation of the kingdom of God. In 2 Timothy chapter 4, Paul is ending a letter to Timothy, who's a young guy who's one of his, his elders or one of the pastors there for him. And Paul is encouraging him to be unwavering in the face of false teaching. And that he said there's days that are coming that are going to be difficult and they're going to be uncomfortable for a believer. And in that conversation, he starts by saying this, and here's what he says. He says, I charge you, I give you a charge. I charge you in the presence of God and of Christ Jesus to judge the living and the dead and by his appearing and his kingdom to preach the word and be ready in season and out of season to reprove, to preach um, the word, to be ready in season and out of season, to reprove, to rebuke, to exhort, to build up with complete patience and teaching for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching but having itching ears. I love that statement. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions. How many people you know, they go ahead and have people, they, they look on the internet to find something that they can justify. And will turn away from listening to the truth and wander into myths. As for you, always be sober-minded, enduring, suffering. Do the work of evangelists. Fulfill your ministry. Paul's telling Timothy to be faithful. I charge you by God and Jesus Christ, who's going to judge the living and the dead, to keep faithful, to preach the word, to preach the gospel. I know when we hear this, we think of someone like me who's standing up here preaching. Let's go back to our other one about being practical in this. Sometimes some in-season moments that we have where things are all set up and organized. Church is all set up and organized and we have a plan and the Holy Spirit takes it. But those are in-season things. But then there's also times where you may have a conversation with your spouse and your kids and your sibling and your roommate and your person at work and you, you preach the gospel or you, you have this kind of like out of season where you're, where you're at the water cooler or something else. For there will be a day. It could be today where people will not stand on the truth of God but will soothe their itching ears hearing what's comfortable to them. We should be clear-minded, and proclaim the kingdom of God. I invite 
you into this same invitation that the Apostle Paul was giving to Timothy. The question for us is, how do we do this in season and out of season? Well, in season opportunities. After this, right after Easter, we're going to go ahead and we're going to go into a series on the Lord's Prayer. So you may go ahead and say, you know what, that sounds like a good time for me. I'd like to host or maybe I want to lead an in-home or, or small group. And you might want to talk to Ron about that. Or maybe you want to be part of missions locally or globally, and we pray for the day when we can get back to, to doing some of our missions and going back to see our brothers and sisters in Haiti. Maybe you want to join a Bible study, or maybe you want to help teach Sunday school or something else. Because what we know of Jesus is, is that because of Jesus and his glorious appearing, that he is judging the living and the dead, and we ought to be serious about the work of proclaiming the kingdom of God. Because My hope is this, that we would feel the weight and the honor of the charge that Jesus has given us through Paul, that we would be faithful to preach the word and to, and through our lives and to be serious about the business of the kingdom of God and to proclaim the soon and coming king. I hope that that encourages you, that you long for the day of his return, where you stand united with Christ in front of a merciful God who says, come and inherit the kingdom. If you're not a believer in Jesus, my hope is that not that you're driven by fear, that the Lord will enlighten the eyes of your heart to hear his word and that you would say, yes, Lord, I want your mercy. Whichever space you land, the truth of this is that he will come to judge the living and that is in the right and righteous punishment of sin and evil but you long that the wicked will turn, and not just the wicked, those who just don't know you, that they'll turn from their ways and that they will receive it. That, that Lord, that you are a merciful and just Savior that weeps as you stand outside of the Jerusalem back then and the ones of today, and you're just saying, oh, if you would just see me here, if you just receive me, and you're, you're ready to pronounce judgment and destruction, but Lord, I pray that during this time that you would encourage and inspire every believer to, to be more serious about the kingdom, that we would have the Father's heart for those who don't know you, that we wouldn't take joy in those who maybe are difficult for us and we just don't care, that we would begin to care. I pray that, that for the unbeliever, that God, you would woo and, and draw them in, that there may be a person who's in the sound of my voice sitting on the fence and that they would hear and, and I think the standard of their life is, is this, their own pleasure and desire, but it's not, but that the measure of the life would be your good and right judgment and grace, that they would respond and receive your offering of mercy, that they would submit to your will for their lives, and they would say, hey, I have a Savior, and his name is Jesus, and they would go ahead and, and receive that invitation to come. So this morning, Lord, do what words cannot by your Holy Spirit. Open the eyes of of all of our hearts. As we ask for your blessing to be upon the gifts and the tithes that people are bringing. And again, if you're visiting, we, you're our guest. We don't expect you to do that. But ultimately, God, that, that we will receive your gift, the gift of your son, Jesus Christ, in the mighty name above all names, the name of Jesus, I pray. Amen. Now, before we go to our last song, uh, Karen Baraday has asked to be able to come up and in front of the body of Christ.
rededicate her commitment to our Lord. And I think it's kind of appropriate with today's message saying, Jesus is asking you to come. So today, Karen comes forward again on uh, getting close to the one-year anniversary of her baptism. So we just thank you for that. And we have a prayer here that we're going to read, and uh, Karen will repeat after me. as we Loving Lord and Heavenly Father. Loving Lord and Heavenly Father. Take me as I am. Take me as I am. I offer up today all that I am. I offer up today all that I am. All that I have and all that I know. All that I have and all that I know. All that I suffer to be yours today and yours forever. All that I suffer to be yours today and forever. Give me grace, Lord, to be all that I know of you, holy will. Give me grace, Lord, to be all that I know of you and your, of, holy, and will. your holy will. Purify my heart. Purify my heart. Sanctify my thinking. Sanctify my thinking. Correct my desires. Correct my desires. And cast out my sins. Cast out my sins. Teach me in all of today's works. Teach me in all of today's works. Troubles and joy. Troubles and joy. To respond with honest with honesty to respond with honesty simply trust and simple trust and instant obedience simple trust and instant obedience that my life may be in your truth that my life may be in your truth a living sacrifice for you a living sacrifice for you by the power of your holy spirit by the power of your Holy Spirit. And in the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. And of the name of your Son, Jesus Christ. My Master and my all. My Master and my all. Make me and keep me whole. Make me and keep me whole. Amen. Amen. out the wonder of light and as you speak a hundred billion galaxies are born in the vapor of your breath the planets form if the stars were made to worship, so will I. I can see your heart in everything you've made. Every burning star, a signal fire of grace. If 
throughout this week, just remember that. Care for each other. Be kind to each other. Love each other. And do what Jesus said, because at the end of the day, that's what really matters. Amen.